Welcome back to the Novel Expressions Book Club. I'm Natalie, the youngest sister. I'm Jess, the middle sister. I'm Pam, the oldest sister. And I'm Nancy, their mom. Today, we're continuing with the short series from Jojo Moyes with the final book, Still Me. This book picks up where After You left off and we're still in modernish day times, but now we venture to New York City. So what cultural context is relevant in this novel, Mom? Well, we certainly can't talk about this novel without talking about some of the stereotyping of both the English and the Americans that we see. For example, Josh, uh, Luisa's boyfriend at one point, says, you're too nice. You're being English about it. So apparently the English are known, or the British are known to be more kind are to be nicer than Americans are. That probably is not even a stereotype. It's probably true. And then Margot um, says to Louisa, I thought you British girls were made of sterner stuff. So the idea that they're um, less emotional perhaps than Americans are. And then Louisa, the English girl says to Trina, her sister, Americans pop pills for everything. And that came up two or three times in the novel. And then she also, when she first got to New York City and she started to kind of get into the uh, concept of what it meant to be a New Yorker, she discovered that New Yorkers had certain rules. No, rule number one was that nobody in the building speaks to anyone else. Number two, in shops, everyone talks to you and follows you around. And number three, New Yorkers walk really, really fast. And she said that she even had to change out of her stylish shoes and start wearing walkers to make sure that she could keep up with the very fast walking New Yorkers. She also had some cultural confusion with the big deal that Americans um, treated Halloween and of course Thanksgiving. And certainly Thanksgiving would not be something that um, the English would even celebrate, but Halloween is a European holiday. And yet she found that the way that um, Americans treated Halloween was very different. It was a much bigger deal here in the United States than it would be in England. Uh, we also have to talk about the reference to pussy galore, which when I first read that I thought, what? Um, but actually, Pussy Galore was a fictional character in the 1959 James Bond novel, Goldfinger. In the movie, she was played by actress Honor Blackman, who just died last, on April 6th, my anniversary, 2020, at age 94. And in this novel, Katie or Louisa says that Katie looks like her. Yes. The other thing that I wanted to tell you about this actress, um, Honor Blackman, who played Pussy Galore in the movie is that she also played in one of my favorite TV shows growing up, and that was The Avengers, which is not the same as The Avengers that are the characters that you guys have today, but it was a great show that we loved so much back in the 60s, I guess it was. Anyway, um, very little in language that we need to talk about, although there are a few. Uh, one is the word shirty, and I don't remember that coming up 
in her previous novels, but it is British slang for a bad-tempered or rude person, and or just being bad-tempered or rude, I guess would be a better way to say it because it is an adjective. And then Ilaria, the housekeeper, cook, calls Agnes a puta, which is Spanish for a whore, prostitute, a slut, someone who sleeps around a lot, doesn't have very good morals. And then we did hear about um, when they were protesting the closing of the library, we did hear about people coming and bringing pacoras to um, the protesters. And these are of Indian origin. They are battered and deep fried, either vegetable or meat. And so I checked out the recipe and they look delicious. They kind of remind me a little bit of what you might see in Hispanic cuisine, empanadas, or what you might see in American cuisine, hand pies, something along those lines, not exactly, but kind of that idea. Those sound good indeed. Um, I also feel it's necessary to point out that mom has just said pussy at least three times <laughs> plus four prostitute and slut. So we're off to a strong start for this discussion. And on and that can note, I do? Can I do one more thing? I just want to say if I mispronounce that Indian food or if I totally offended anyone who says they're nothing like empanadas or hand pies, I apologize. That was the only thing I could liken them to. All right. On that note, Pam, take us away with our characters. All righty. Just like last time, I'll review the characters from the previous books in the series, and then I'll introduce the characters who are new to this book. So, of course, we'll start with Louisa Lou Clark. Finally moving forward after grieving Will's death, our beloved protagonist is happily dating Sam and has just arrived in New York when our story begins. Ever the optimist, Louisa throws herself into this strange new role as a rich woman's assistant and spends her free time exploring New York, meeting new people, and attempting to maintain a long distance relationship. Just as happens in real life, Louisa experiences her share of challenges and heartache, as well as excitement and new opportunities throughout this novel. And by the end of our journey with her, we can happily report that Louisa Clark has finally found her way. Josie Clark, Louisa's mother, perhaps because of her change in thinking during the last novel, Josie emerges here as a quiet listener, proud mother, and cheerleader for her daughters. Unfortunately, she does experience a loss in this book, which has her questioning her role and purpose once again. Bernard Clark, Louisa's father, I think most of us would agree that he has grown on us throughout these books. In this final portion of Louisa's story, he's a supportive husband and father, and while he might be very blunt and insensitive when he is caught off guard, he truly just wants his family to be happy. Granddad, Josie's father who lives with the family. In this book, his death brings Louisa back to England for a visit just four months after Christmas, and causes her to reflect on the things that she didn't do and say when she had the chance. Katrina, Trina Clark, Louisa's younger sister who is living in Louisa's flat, working in London and raising her son on her own. In this book, we learn early on that she is happily dating someone. On Christmas day, she shocks her family when they all finally get to meet Eddie. Thomas, Trina's son who, Despite the chaos and changes in his family, 
keeps on loving life and making his family and us laugh. Nathan, Luis's good friend who is responsible for her new opportunity in New York, once Will Trainer's medical caregiver, Nathan is now Mr. Gopnik's physical therapist. His role at the Gopniks is basically to be at Mr. Gopnik's beck and call whenever his arthritis is flaring up. Camilla Trainer, Will's mother, of course, but more importantly now, Lily's grandmother, who brings Lily to New York to visit Louisa. Lily Houghton Miller slash Trainer, Will Trainer's teenage daughter who is thriving now that she is living with Grandma Camilla and going to a school that she loves. She also recently started dating Sam's nephew, Jake, and because that means that she sees Sam often, she takes the opportunity to make up some stories about Louisa's wild love life in New York, just like she told Grandpa Steven stories about Camilla's new love life. Sam Fielding, Louisa's long-distance boyfriend who encouraged her to take advantage of the job offer in New York. Unfortunately, he didn't realize how difficult the separation would be or how quickly his new partner would put the moves on him. Mr. Leonard Gopnik, Nathan and Louisa's wealthy New York employer, as a very important affluent man, he requires a staff that is both efficient and discreet. All right, new to this book, we have Ashok, the sweet attentive doorman at the lavery, who, along with his spunky wife, Mina, becomes like family to Louisa. Miss Margot DeWitt, the cranky, critical old lady who has lived at the Lavery forever and seems to hate everyone except for her bug-eyed dog, Dean Martin. After Louisa gets to know her a little better, though, we learn that she isn't so bad after all. In fact, she ends up being a real blessing to Louisa. Ilaria, the Gopnik's housekeeper who is very opinionated and stubborn and hilarious. Much to Louisa's surprise, she and Ilaria actually become friends toward the latter part of the book. Mrs. Agnes Gopnik, Mr. Gopnik's beautiful second wife, who is much younger than her husband, was once a massage therapist and is now fairly new to wealthy living. Although we might first think that she and Louisa could truly be friends, we quickly realize that Agnes will do anything to keep her secrets and reputation intact, even if it means letting Louisa take the blame. Tabitha Gopnik, Mr. Gopnik's spoiled adult daughter who treats her stepmother unfairly, but obviously has good reason to be suspicious of her. George, Agnes's personal trainer who helps keep Agnes fit and tortures Louisa with a four plus mile run each morning. Michael, Mr. Gopnik's personal assistant who shows Louisa the ropes when she first arrives in New York and later shows her the door when she is fired by the Gopniks. Joshua William Ryan III, a man whom Louisa meets at the Yellow Dress Ball who has an uncanny resemblance to Will Trainer. As a young, confident, flirtatious businessman who has connections and is very attentive to Louisa, he seems like a good catch. We eventually realize, though, that he is clearly looking for, as Mrs. DeWitt puts it, a Stepford wife, and Louisa certainly won't be that. Yay for Sam. Katie Ingram, Sam's young, beautiful new partner who quickly puts the moves on Sam. In many ways, she is Sam's Josh while he and Louisa are separated by the Atlantic Ocean. 
Stephen Lipcott, the artist who comes to Agnes and Louisa's rescue when they need a noodle for a charity lunch. After their initial meeting, he becomes Agnes's personal artist and one assumes her lover. Edwina, better known as Eddie, she is Trina's new girlfriend who gracefully meets the Clark family on Christmas Day. And then finally, we have Frank, Laney, and Vincent, or Vinnie Weber, Margot's estranged son, daughter-in-law, and grandson, who, because of Luisa's intervention, reconnect with Margot and ask her to move in with them while she lives out her last days. Whew. After three books, there's a lot of characters to talk about, huh? That's how I felt. I felt like, my goodness, there should be more to review and less new, but gotta say, JoJo's good that way. Yep. You know, I still felt very connected to these characters, and, and like I knew them, even though they were new in this book. Yep, I agree. Well, that is a, a nice segue for us, me to kick off our favorite element section. Um, my favorite element in this book was the use of letters and emails to tell parts of the story, and I, I think one of the things I liked so much about how JoJo used them was that I very much could hear the voices of the characters through those letters, even when they were just from Luisa's perspective. For example, her emails back to her mom and the way she would write things about like the questions her mom was clearly asking that just sounded so much like her mom. It, I really, really enjoyed that. And I thought it was a nice way to tell some of the things that were happening and, and kind of show them, but you know, maybe not show them as they played out real time. So I really enjoyed that little break to the story. And I would have to say my favorite part of this story is that we finally see Lou coming into her own and she actually ends up happy in the end because the first two books were just so sad and it seemed like nothing was going to work in her favor. It was so nice to see this. And I especially love that she was able to figure out what she really wanted instead of molding her life to fit into someone else's, which is what she kept trying to do. And then she realized that wasn't the best way to go about it. So I was very happy to see that she actually got what she wanted at the end. I was thinking as you were talking, Jess, you know, I, I mentioned above, I called her an eternal optimist or something like that. And I was thinking, you know, she wasn't that so much in the second book. But I feel like she's back to her old self in that way, you know, that like, let's give it a go, you know, just like she did when she was Will's uh, companion, you know, let's try this, let's do this. That's kind of what it reminded me of. So I've claimed before that I'm the romantic and um, my favorite part of this is just that Sam and Louisa end up together. I'm very happy that Louisa has found her way and that she's not compromising what she wants. Of course, that's very important but I just really wanted them to end up together. Um, that scene at the end, the suspense of that, like what time she's supposed to meet him and how, like like everything else I feel like doesn't go quite right, you know, and, but she eventually gets to him. And I just felt like, yes, and I knew Sam would wait. And so I was just happy that, that they ended up together. Well, for me, the humor, oh my goodness. I can't tell you how many times as I was reading this book, I laughed out loud. And I know that you girls are gonna refer to some of those in noteworthy discussion topics. So I'll just talk about a couple. When, when Trina brought Eddie home to the family, their responses to finding out that she was gay, I thought were hilarious. 
I don't remember if it was the dad or the mom who asked, is that why you always wear blue jeans? As if wearing blue jeans somehow makes you gay or that that would be a sign. And Josie, when Josie said, she was talking about, you know, maybe she's gender fluid because of course she had a son by a man. So maybe she's gender fluid. And I can't remember, is it being on the spectrum or the speculum? And ladies, you all know what a speculum is. So that part, I just was cracking up. She says, I can never remember which one it is. Or as Pam, I think mentioned earlier, or someone did, when Mr. Trainer, uh, when Lily tells Mr. Trainer and Sam absolutely ridiculous, fictitious stories about Mrs. Trainer's and Louise's love lies. You got to give it to Lily. She was a strong female character and she wasn't going to let any man have the best of a woman. So I just loved that. Especially the things that we find out like toward the end of the book where Sam and Louisa re restart communications and he's telling, Oh my God. Oh my gosh. And it then was so funny. And then he like, sees Lily after he realizes that like actually none of it's true. Uh -huh. So, so funny. Fantastic. All right. So let's go ahead and move into our other noteworthy discussion topics. Who wants to kick us off? Okay. So I would like to start us off because I saw this at the end of the last book when Lou was talking about going to New York. And then this came up quite a bit in this book too. Just how the people in England thought it was such a big deal to come over and work in New York. And, you know, she was just essentially an assistant to a rich person, but it was such a huge deal to the point that when mom knew that Louisa was coming home, she was actually a little bit nervous because she felt like Lou's life would be too grand for what she's used to here in England. So do you girls think that is really how they feel? I think it's the same thing as if we sent one of you guys over to England and you worked there, we might feel like, oh, you got too proper while you were over there and maybe the American sloppy way wouldn't be good enough. So I think it, I think it goes both ways. Okay. I agree with that. I also think that part of it is like her family wasn't upper class from London. They're from this tiny little town and like, they've never really traveled. You know, her mom's never really worked outside the home type of thing. So I think just, I think it's partly just her mom too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The limited experiences that she's had. And possibly New York. Yeah. Yes. Of all places. Yeah. As yeah. opposed yeah. to like if they're coming to Ohio. Right. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> Might be oh, Ohio's not exciting and fun. What? I think it is. Me too. Well, we're here. So must be. So speaking of traveling. Okay. The opening scene. Oh gosh. Where Louisa is going through customs and she's totally nervous. And she's like chatting it up with the guy with the mustache. First of all, it was hilarious. Secondly, reminded me of mom <laughs> because we have each traveled with her before. And for whatever reason, mom gets a little nervous when we're going through security. <laughs> she says dumb things sometimes like about bombs and whatnot <laughs> and just gets kind of like nervous and antsy. And it just, Louisa reminded me of that. I was cracking up when I read that. Scene. It is true. And I had actually written the same thing when I was annotating this book. When I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is our mother. She does the same <laughs> thing when we're in the airport. Just so ridiculous. Yeah. And 
kind of like what mom was saying earlier with the humor. This book, I really laughed a lot in. And I think coming off of the last one, which we all agreed was pretty depressing. It was so nice to have the lightheartedness. Yes. Um, a couple of the ones that I really loved was she was sitting in the car with Gary, the driver at one point, and she didn't want to be thinking. And so she asked this man if he wanted to play I Spy. <laughs> Like, like she was a little kid. And then when she was drunk, which Pam is going to talk about in a second, and she actually licked Josh because she said she wanted to. It just, I think the reason why I like her so much is she kind of reminds me of us because we're all silly. And when we get into those moods, we do stuff like that. And I just kind of connected with her. Oh, yeah. I, okay, if I could, I would read like four pages of that drunken scene because yes. the whole thing was amazing, not just because it's funny, but because it is perfectly written for Luisa's voice. Natalie mentioned earlier the voice in the emails and the letters and stuff. JoJo's very good at voice as well as some of the other authors we've talked about. So I'm just going to read a part though because I just love it and I think we've all maybe been there. And I think, I was just going to say, Pam, I think that's the thing. Not only does she capture voice very well, but she captures what it's like to be drunk very well. <laughs> so, so Louisa's out with Josh. She gets drunk. And here's, here's the, the portion I'm going to read. I was conscious of a silence falling gently between us. I wondered briefly if I might just take a little power nap right there. It felt so nice. The sounds of the boxing match briefly receded. My forehead was only a little bit wet. And then I felt his hand on mine. Okay, Louisa, I think it's time we got you out of here. I said goodbye to all the nice people on my way out, high-fiving as many as I could. Some seemed to miss my hand, idiots. For some reason, Josh kept apologizing out loud. I think maybe he was bumping into them as we walked. <laughs> and I'm cracking up because I'm picturing her trying to high five people and of course she's the one missing right. <laughs> and then the idea of falling asleep at the table right there definitely been there um, just a little power nap right <laughs> and, then, and then the idea that he's bumping into people I can just imagine her like Josh you know like cracking up thinking that it's everyone but her having right. it. Mm -hmm. so no. I said I could go on and on with that scene. And then of course when she goes to his house she gives him a dance. Don't forget about the dance. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I I almost wish we got to experience it. Uh -huh. <laughs> this would be a good book, wouldn't it? I mean a good movie. <laughs> I know it's a good book. I meant a good movie. <laughs> yeah, it would be. For sure. Um, okay, so another, sorry, I had to segue here because we were talking about Josh. So another scene that cracked me up is when Sam comes to visit and Louisa has this idea, and she's not drunk now, she has this idea of what their reunion's going to be like, and then yes. she like misses him while she's doing whatever else. So then she makes him start over, go back, let's meet again. And then it ends up being like really romantic and special and cute. Not only do I love that she wants to do that, I love that he humors her and yes. does it. You know, that was just a fun scene. That's, a, that's how you know he's a keeper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. I agree. I agree. Well, I want to change topics to talk about um, Alaria, who um, obviously was the housekeeper in the Gopnik household. 
I loved Alaria. She uh, cracked me up, as you all have talked about so far. Many of the things in this book cracked me up, but I liked her little, like, silent rebellion against the Gopniks, um, creating the dinners that she knew Agnes hated, or, you know, toward the end of the book, even that both of them hated when she was mad at them for what they did to Louisa, burning Agnes's shirts. I kind of can't imagine doing that because, like, they're her employers, and that would just be, like, straight up, you know, uh, insubordination at work. Like, I just can't imagine doing something wrong at my job with purpose. Except not... that, except that she knew that Agnes had no power. Only he had the power. Yeah, but I just feel like, I mean, burn shirts are proof. A, a, yeah. a meal, maybe I can get behind. Like, Agnes, you know, even said, like, she didn't want to sound like she was just whiny all the time. But continuously burn shirts just seems like that would actually be evidence for her to take to to the Mr. Gopnik. But anyway, I just really enjoyed watching that. Um, and then of course, how Lou wins her over at the end. I, I really liked that because then she was on her side. Um, just real quick insert. How about when Alaria walks in on. Oh Louisa? my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> when she was flashing. Showing her boobs. Via <laughs> like so awkward. Awkward. It's so funny. But Natalie, I'm with you. I wondered, I thought, what what kind of security does she have? Is it something to do with Mrs. Gopnik? Or, you know, right. like, why does she know that she can push it a little bit and get away with it? I wondered the same thing. I have a feeling that it's because of the daughter, Tabitha, mm. because I think she, Tabitha grew up with her. And you even saw when she came over, she would make special dinners for her. And so I think Mr. Gopnik almost feels like she's part of the family at this point. And do you remember what he said at the end to Louisa about people being, um, being discreet that worked for him, that people he could trust? And I think because he felt that way about Ilaria, that he didn't really, he overlooked everything that she might have been doing to get Matt Agnes mad at her. But like how thrilling for Ilaria. Oh yeah. <laughs> to get to be rebellious like that. Oh yeah. Right. Funny that you would say how thrilling to be rebellious, Natalie. So shocking that you would say that. Out of my character. <laughs> totally. So good segue, because I'm gonna talk a little bit about rebellion. So this yellow charity dress, kind of an interest or yellow dress charity, I should say. <laughs> yes. Kind of an interesting concept, first of all, that all the men are going to wear yellow ties and all the women are going to wear yellow dresses and somehow not wear the same dresses. And what a terrible um, color. Exactly. Right. That color does not look good on most people. No. Right. So that scene, though, where uh, Agnes goes in this dress and she has the wrong type of dress, you know, totally reminded me of Celia Foote from The Help. I don't know if you guys remember that, but she was always wearing the wrong thing and saying the wrong thing and was not accepted by all the other wealthy women, mm -hmm. just like Agnes isn't. So that reminded me of that. But then also, since we've been talking funny, when she goes into the bathroom and <laughs> she can't get her dress back on and uh, Louisa goes in and tries to help her she's awesome because then she just talks her into, you know what, just go out there and own it. Just walk out there. So Agnes struts out in her panties and pasties, I think. Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure she had a legit bra on. Mm -hmm. And just the way that whole scene goes down. But I also liked not just the funny part of it, but we 
we're seeing Louisa emerge again, you know, mm -hmm. as that, just like those clothes she wears in the first book. Yeah. Just that being okay with who she is and, mm -hmm. and owning it just like she did and telling Agnes to do that. So I really like that scene. And we also see another um, supportive bathroom attendant in that yes. scene as yes, well. So we Jojo do. must have had some good experiences with bathroom attendants in her day. For sure. So I thought it was interesting, a couple of the comments that Louisa made about women, and I just wanted to get your, you, your opinions, ladies, on this. The first one was at the beginning of the novel, I think, and she said, I wasn't sure men would ever understand the infinitely subtle weaponry women used against each other. And then later on, um, when she was trying to fit in with Josh's work people, she, had, she said, I had a sudden memory of how Agnes must have felt at such gatherings, the myriad subtle ways women can find to let other women know they do not fit in. So what do you think, ladies? Has that been your experience? What do you think? Do you, have you seen it happen, if it, even if it's not been your experience? Absolutely. Definitely. Like and obviously, it depends on the woman, the type of woman. But yes, women are very good at silently making you feel like you don't belong. Totally agree. Judgy, judgy, judgy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, have you ever watched a woman when another woman walks in the room? Mm -hmm. women look each other up and down perhaps more than yeah. men and, and and i'm talking about um heterosexual you know yes women look each other up and down just checking out everything i feel like um i see that a lot and i also do think that women are compared to men more clicky and more exclusive in their circles they don't someone from the outside, someone they don't necessarily know very well, they're not going to welcome them in like a guy would. And obviously in Agnes's case, she was not welcomed because of what happened with the previous Mrs. Kaufman. And yet he didn't have any problems with it. Because mm -mm. he, 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 It was okay for him to have discarded one wife for another one, but it wasn't okay for her to be the, the new wife. Yeah. A little bit of a double standard there, I would say. Just a little bit. Yeah, and if he did have any problem, <clears throat> it wasn't talked about. Correct. Well, he did have a lot of power because he had a lot of money. So perhaps that's the reason. And Which, she didn't. Just quick insertion here. So at toward the end when he's talking to Luisa and asking her about the money that has gone missing, he makes mm -hmm. a comment. So the amount that she totaled that the total amount that she took out of the ATM was ten thousand, right? Ten thousand yes. dollars is what we determined. Yes. Okay. He makes a comment of like, she could spend 10 times that in a day and I wouldn't even blink an eye. Like, how rich right. is this guy? He's rich. That's crazy. He's, he's like the upper 1%, <laughs> maybe yeah. even a tenth of a 1%. Yeah, he's rich. You know what? And I wanted to bring up something about that. It was, it was very interesting to me how quickly Agnes went from a massotherapist who was just a regular person, a, an immigrant, blah, 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 to this haughty person who would treat Louisa the way she did at the end. And I just, maybe it was a defense mechanism, but I thought, you remember humble beginnings. Why are you doing this? I just thought it was awful. I think it was because she was just so scared. 
Yeah, she was. She was. She was but it's not, that's not an excuse. Well, no, but she would fall hard and fall far if she was kind to Louisa and told the truth. Well, and it's like the whole, the whole pregnancy test thing, right? So that whole thing was just like so wrong. First of all, that she hit it in there, didn't tell Louisa. Louisa then tells her it causes a problem with Sam and she's just like so dismissive of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side of it, Louisa completely has her back. I just felt like Agnes just sucked. Yeah. And the thing was, uh, Jess, she did finally have to, no, I'm talking to Jess because of what Jess said. Um, She did finally have to confess about the child and she still was married to Gopnik and they were raising the child in New York. So honestly, it didn't work out badly for her. So if she had been honest and said, well, there's something I have to tell you, dear, that whole thing, you know, could have been avoided because he didn't, he didn't dismiss her. But that's what money does to you. And I, I think that she was, it made her so scared that she was going to lose that because she didn't, it didn't to me seem like she even really loved Mr. Gopnik all that much towards the end when she's starting to have an affair and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it, it was more about the money at that point and she couldn't lose it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right about that. I also thought it was fear and she, it seems to me like she's supporting her family mm-hmm. back in Poland. And so that too, and I'm not saying it makes it right. 100% does not make it right. Um, and the other thing I will say is that, well, Agnes does suck and she should have come clean for Louisa. I do like the path that it puts Louisa on, you right. know, that's true. Some doors that, that were really good for her versus kind of being stuck in, in that situation. I just feel like, okay, yes, I agree with you a hundred percent, but like Agnes could have come to her privately and said like, thank you so much for, you know, not saying anything. She could have not been rude and, you know, dismissive of her at the end, like so many opportunities she had. And you know what? This is why you don't have any friends, Agnes. This is why none of your friends want to be friends with you. But that's my point. It seemed like she, when she married him and got into the money thing, she became a totally different person because even Louisa said when they would go out and have noodles or whatever, she was a lot of fun and she was very warm. And when she was with her people, she was a completely different person. So part of that is that she's imposed that on herself that she had to be different. Mm -hmm. That isn't the person he fell in love with. True. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Anything else on that? Or I'm going to kind of change directions here. All right. We'll switch it up a little bit because we've talked a lot about that um, truth that we see as Jojo is writing and the, the weekend that Sam gets to first come to New York and they're going to spend the weekend together and they have all these plans, right? Louise has all these plans and then Sam gets probably Mm -hmm. food poisoning. right? Right. And he's absolutely miserable. And, you know, as you're reading, you see that Louisa is really struggling with it because she's disappointed and kind of even mad, like that the weekend is ruined and kind of even mad at him in a way, even though she knows that that's terrible because he's miserable. But I was thinking like, I've felt that way before. 
you know? And so just that honesty of like, yeah, this is how it is sometimes, even though that was not his fault, he couldn't have possibly known that was going to be bad food at that truck or whatever. We do that sometimes. We get like irritated with someone like, if you hadn't done that, our whole weekend wouldn't have been ruined, you know? So I just appreciated that honesty in that scene. Okay, so I think another favorite part for me, I didn't want to have more than one element up top like mom sometimes does. So it's down here. Which, but there real is, quick, did you notice mom really kind of did? She's like, <laughs> let me just pick a theme and then I'll mention a couple things. Right. Good call. Really she's, did. she's smart like that. We'll give her tricky, some props. tricky, tricky. <laughs> so there's this line and I can't remember you know, where in the book, but basically it's when Louisa finds out about Sam's new partner. Mm. And this is the line, reader, I did the stupid thing. I looked her up on Facebook. And first of all, that's so like Beatrice Williams to make the character talk to us, you know, mm. so that was a fun throwback. And then I also totally get where she's coming from. She knew she shouldn't. She knew it was going to mess her up and make her jealous and crazy and whatever else. And maybe she had reason to be so, but she, she knew it was stupid and she did it anyway. She definitely had reason to be so as we found out later. Mm -hmm. Oh, that girl irritated me. Katie mm -hmm. Ingram. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That scene where Louisa goes to surprise Sam Oh my gosh. Oh, and I'm just awful. sitting there going like bang on the door, like break them up, ruin it for them. And <laughs> Cause a scene. She just ran away. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I, I, if I say nothing else about Louisa, she has strong character for sure. Um, even, you know, in the way she handled Sam, but also just in the whole Gopnik situation. And after how Agnes totally just like let her take the fall, let her be thrown under the bus. She still, would say she didn't take the money, but would not sell Agnes down the river. Um, even at the end of the story, like she just, she really um, kept her word to Agnes to keep it secret. And I just thought that was really impressive. And I, it, you know, her character was shown at many points throughout the book. Um, that's a good example, but also even just like how she goes to help out Margot. She doesn't have to, she doesn't have to be nice to her. Margot really wasn't super nice to her ever, except for maybe giving her the Viva scarf. But um, I think it just really speaks to who she is. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, you were, it's, when you were talking about that, I thought, you know, Agnes kept saying to her, we're friends, aren't we? We're friends, aren't we? You know, and then how Agnes treats her, not like a friend would. Mm -hmm. But who is a good friend, I kept thinking throughout this entire novel, is Nathan. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, just like such a good guy. And I felt like that about him in the first book and in the second book. But in this one, I just really loved him. You know, so from you know, inviting her for this opportunity to the little pick-me-ups he gives her along the way. And then when she does get fired, letting her stay in his room, even right. though there were some awkward moments during that time. <laughs> I knew, I see you grinning, Natalie. <laughs> Want to talk okay. about it? Just, I mean, so amazing. So good. <laughs> but just such a good friend. That's, that's all I'll say. Another thing that I really liked about this book, and I think it was partially because, you know, most of it we're seeing her with these rich people who are living these rich lives, and it's, you know, not something that we're typically used to. And then they have all of these library scenes where she is with 
Ashok and Nina, and they are fighting to save the library. And I loved those scenes. And then I particularly loved at the end when Gopnik keeps saying, like, I, I need to essentially pay you off so that you don't speak. And instead of taking the money for herself, she tells him that he should save the library in Will Trainer's name. And I just thought that was the Beautiful. most perfect way, yes, to end that whole thing with the library. Yep, absolutely. That was beautiful. And he did, he did what? Twice as much, yeah? yeah? Twice as many years, correct. I also enjoyed the irony of how she, when she was like the first time at the library, she was noticing like um, some of the people who are a little bit more shabby and, you know, you could tell that like the library was a really important resource for them. And then she found herself <laughs> in that very situation <laughs> where she thought, thought she was, was Mm -hmm. Which yep. she actually was. Oh, she definitely was. She was yeah. sleeping in the library. The security guard like comes over to her, uh, ma'am. <laughs> I so, also think it speaks to her character that she didn't tell anyone. Yeah. When yeah. they were excited that the library was saved, she didn't yeah. say, oh yeah, I. It's I, because I, of me. Yeah. Right. I'm the one who did it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting is when she was talking about the cockroaches that were in her, their apartments. And, you know, this is, as we said, the top 1% or fraction of 1% of the population who can afford to live in New York City with a series of rooms in a huge apartment, and yet they had cockroaches. And I thought, are the cockroaches symbolic? Hmm of perhaps some of the people who live there. And that's all I'll say. But even in New York City, even in the wealthiest apartments, there are cockroaches, which I thought was interesting. Well, and even in the wealthiest of families, you still have disobedient cats. And that's something that I can really identify with because I have three disobedient cats. And I just really loved that there were references to the cat. It's such a random kind of unnecessary thing but it really just like builds it just builds on top of the story it's just an extra layer to make the people feel real and the story feel real that I appreciate that Jojo threw in there but like the cat puking in Nathan's shoe it licking itself like in the middle of the floor which I know Jess like tickles you to no end when I send you pictures of my cats doing that um but I just it was funny in the fact that it had its own behavioralist like it's just ridiculous well, speaking of disobedient animals, it reminds me of Dean Martin, that not very cute little puppy of Margot's. And although Margot wasn't necessarily the nicest woman most of the time, it was definitely because she was lonely. And I ended up really liking her at the end of the book because of the way that she helped Lou grow and discovered that you know, she wanted to be her own person and do her own thing and that that was okay. And I just thought their relationship, although she wasn't even nice all the time after they were friends, I just thought it was so special and so sweet. I do. I agree with you. You know, she was lonely, but she was also, she also had so many regrets and was so afraid that she would never get to see her son again. And then she was dying of cancer and she kept that to herself. So she had a lot in her, on her head, in her head that made her the way she was, I think. Yeah, I feel like she was a really good lesson for me of like how she responded when her son 
was willing to give her a chance again. And she was just like, you can just decide, like, you can just decide you want to be happy and just let it all go and move on and move past it. And I was like, you know what? That's great. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You have the power to decide that. All right. Any other noteworthy discussion topics we would like to cover? All right, let's move on to our criticisms. All right, so on Goodreads, this book was rated a 4.13 out of five stars, so definitely pretty high. Mm -hmm. And I have two actual criticisms of the book, and then one that's not necessarily of the book, but just of the series in general. So the first criticism people had brought up was that they felt the book was boring and a slow <gasps> read. Well, it definitely wasn't boring. It was hilarious. There were so many laugh out loud parts. How could you say that was boring? I guess I can maybe see the slow read just with the details of like Louisa and what she's doing. Like there was a lot about her role with the Gopniks, but I think it was necessary for what ultimately transpires in the story. I didn't think it was a slow read for what it's worth, but I I guess I could see how people felt like that, but I agree it was not boring. Mm -mm. And I think there was so much packed into the story and a whole bunch of different things that were happening in her life that I don't know how you could describe it as a slow read. Well, and I just found like me personally, the whole idea of being an assistant for a rich person in New York City is fascinating. So mm -hmm. I really enjoyed reading those parts. Yeah. And it wasn't just, I mean, there was also the wrinkle of Trina and her new love life. And then there was Sam with the jerk girl. Shady. And um, then there was, you know, the whole Josh angle. So there were lots of different things that were going on. And I will say for me, this was a book that I read in a couple of days. This mm -hmm. was one of those books that I really wanted to keep reading. And I was thinking about the characters when I wasn't reading. So yeah. I, I think I got it done in two days myself. Yeah. All right, good. So then the second criticism that people came up with was that they didn't like all of the stereotypical characters. They felt that there are too many of them. So for example, you know, the younger kind of bratty uh, wife of a rich man like Agnes, or the super rich man who kind of controls everything in his life, like Mr. Gopnik, or the bratty daughter of a rich person like Tabitha. They didn't like all of those stereotypes being included. I don't like them in real life, but it doesn't mean they don't exist. Yeah, I was going to say, my comment was going to be, well, sometimes stereotypes are stereotypes because that's what happens in real life. <laughs> Also, I think we can agree with those critics in that we didn't really like the Gopniks either. Yeah. Right. <laughs> stereotype or no stereotype. True. All right, good. So the last one. Well, like okay, I pause. Sorry, just really one more quick point on that. Like, okay, so so they were the stereotype, but like, that's it. I, I wouldn't say that Margot was like a typical stereotype. I wouldn't say that Louisa by any stretch. I wouldn't say that Nathan was. I, w I mean. I guess maybe you could argue Alaria was, but I wouldn't say that. I'm, I don't know. I just don't feel like there were really that many stereotypical characters. It, yeah, it, it was more like they were just focusing on the rich family. And then that makes me think 
do you have a problem with rich people being described like that? Like, as there maybe are you secretly rich and you're, are you right. rich? <laughs> you're reading a bootleg right. legal copy and you're having a book. <laughs> okay. And so, so on that note, I will say, you know, if, if a wealthy person is reading that and feels like they're being wrongly depicted, I do get that because certainly we've all felt before like, wait, hang on. I'm not like that. Everybody's not like that, you know? And so that is hard. But like mom said, I think it's probably a character type for a reason. You know, I think there probably are enough families like that, that authors know it and write it. Okay, so the final one, like I said, is not specific just to this book, but quite a few people said that the very first book, Me Before You, should have been a standalone novel. And they think that our author kind of ruined it by doing these last two. Wrong. <laughs> so seriously, I loved Louisa. I wanted to find out what happened to her. I was rooting for her through book one, book two, and happy at the end of book three. I guess if your favorite character in Me Before You was Will, and you just had your heart set on like Will and Louise's love story, then sure. But like Will died. So that was never going to happen. And also Louise is hilarious. And is really, it is her story. We it meet Will well into that book. Right. So. And Louisa isn't defined by Will. No. That's fact, right. They only knew each other for six months. Right. Correct. While I'm totally cool with her being head over heels in love with him in six months. I, I'm, I'm okay with, I don't have like a problem with that as a real life possibility. He doesn't define who she is. That's right. So like mom said, we get to have her story after that. And, and obviously the first book was fabulous, but even in the second book, which was more depressing, I still really enjoyed it and really enjoyed Louisa and her family for that matter, you know? And then this one just made me happy. This, you know, this book just made me happy. Yes. And I will say that I think Me Before You could have been a standalone novel. I don't think there would have been anything wrong with it. Her stopping there, it definitely had a profound effect on me. I mean, that's the one that I really cried the most at. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is I'm glad that she didn't stop after the second one because the second one yes. was really sad. And so I didn't feel like that was how Louisa should end up. So I'm mm -hmm. glad there was the third. And, you know, for me, part of it is that these, when you spend time with characters, when you're reading, they kind of become part of your life for a short period of time. And the fact that we got to have her longer than just the length of time it took us to read the first book, for me, was like having a friend for a longer period of time, someone I wanted to find more out about. And so I enjoyed the fact that her character developed and changed and she had problems and disasters and everything and, and came out on top eventually. So I, I liked spending time with her. Agreed. Well, we uh, conquered the criticisms once again. No big deal. 
All right, that brings us to the end of our discussion. So what are we reading next and where can they find us? All right, listeners, you need to look out for our bi-weekly website posts at NovelExpressionsBookClub.com and also our pre-release posts on Instagram at NovelExpressionsBookClub. And of course, we will be back in two weeks with The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna. Until we read again. Thank you.